Monday, November 19th, 2018. I'm Jeremiah Zimmerman, and this is episode 185 of the 5049 Podcast. How you guys doing? You all right? Thanks for joining us for another conversation. Hey, that is some fucked up music back there. Let's have a listen. Thanks for joining us for another conversation between myself and another musician today. That musician is guitarist, composer, improviser, maniac, Wendy Eisenberg. Let's listen a little more. This is from a new trio record on Zodic with Trevor Dunn on bass and some very unusual uh, pedals. Chess Smith on drums. Today on the show, Wendy Eisenberg. Look, I'm going to let you know right up top. Today's a good one, and uh, this new record is slamming. Today on the show, episode 185, Wendy Eisenberg. You guys doing all right? Um, before we get into it, let me say thanks to the people who have been signing up for the Patreon. It really means a lot to me. Uh, I sent a a message to all the Patreon donors yesterday updating the password on the uh, podcast archive. So if uh, if you're having trouble logging in, check your email. The info is there. If you're enjoying this show and uh, you can't afford to, to pledge to the Patreon, do me a favor. Go into iTunes and rate and review the show. It it I I, I got to tell you it helps. How does it help? It makes the show more visible. By making the show more visible, hopefully some people, you know, outside of the 12 dudes, you know, crowded around in basements uh, listening to this music, you know, hopefully some people outside of that group will will check in and check out these conversations and hopefully uh, find some new music that is exciting to them. Today's a good one. Today's a really good one. Um, I, do you guys know Wendy Eisenberg? She's young. She's 26. Uh, she lives in Western Massachusetts. Uh, she recently did a master's program at, at New England Conservatory, and she is totally hilarious. As I was listening back to this uh, podcast while I was editing it, I, I realized I laugh a lot more on this show than, than I normally do, uh, and that's because Wendy's really funny. Uh, she's also insanely talented. As I mentioned at the top of the show, she has a new record out on Sodic called The Machinic Unconscious. It's with uh, Trevor Dunn and Chess Smith. It's an improvised record for electric guitar, electric bass, and drums. And over the top, that's, that's how I have to describe it. It is just a choice vintage of guitar-based improvisation. She was a founding member of the band Birthing Hips, a band that uh, broke up just last year, sadly, but they left us with some pretty intense and and powerful records. Uh, She also just released a new solo record called Its Shape Is Your Touch. Uh, That can be found on Bandcamp. And I got to say, Wendy is an amazing discovery. I was really happy to get to know her uh, for just a minute. You know, today's conversation is just a little over an hour, but... You know, I think for for those of you who 
have listened to a lot of these podcasts, uh, I think you know when I'm really enjoying the conversation, and I think you'll hear it today. Wendy is immensely talented, uh, hilarious. I, I should also say that I, I said a couple of things on the show today. I say a couple of things that I don't know exactly if I know what I was talking about. Uh, I, I make a joke about incels and how I might have been one if uh, you know such an idea existed when I was in high school. I, I think, are incels always bad people? It seems like they might be. Uh, I, I don't, th- anyway, you'll hear. If you want to find out more about Wendy Eisenberg, go to wendyeisenberg.com. As I mentioned, she's got two new records out. They're both amazing and are well worth your time. wendyeisenberg.com. Go to the 5049 website. Help me get rid of some of these t-shirts. Order one, the 12 bucks. All right. Um, I hope you guys are all doing well. Here's my conversation with Wendy Eisenberg. You hate Genesis? Well, but that's like, I mean, particularly close, especially because, oh, sorry. Um, that's okay. No, because like this neighborhood, like, yeah, For the day? I'm French. Are you? I am now. Oh. After just spending After four days, four days. Yeah. I, I've never huh. <laughs> wanted to stay somewhere so badly. I've never wanted to stay anywhere but New York. Wow. Are you from here? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. No, that's like a good level, but. <laughs> In Paris, Are you sure? I, I honestly, I mean, I'm sure, like, I was staying in a really nice neighborhood, and I wasn't doing anything but, like, eating and drinking and reading. Well, yeah. So I'm sure if I actually lived there, it might be a little more problematic. Man. Have you been there? No. no, I'm kind of, like, I'm kind of a zygote. Like, I'm super, A zygote? Yeah, I'm, like, super young. And, like... You're, what, 26? Yeah. Okay. And like a lot of people who are super young, um, have gone to Paris, but I haven't. <laughs> I'm I'm 38, and I just went for the first time. Okay, that makes me feel better. Yeah, because a lot of okay, so I have this really amazing cousin, and he's just like, you haven't toured Europe yet. You haven't been to Europe? Um, I mean, I've like been to Europe on a vacation, right? But I'm I'm touring Europe next fall for the first time. Yeah, with one of your own projects, sort of with the trio, the Zodic trio, with. The time. <laughs> is that the name of the band now? No, it's, it's called something much funnier, The Machinic Unconscious. Yeah. Which is like... Trevor Dunn and Chessman. Right. But that's it's, my first tour, like that way, which means it will be major culture shock. I've honestly just been in such a different musical world that it hasn't been yeah. like possible for that. Does that make sense? Like, I was playing a lot of like punk and DIY shows, and yeah. a lot of my friends who do that go to Europe, but I just didn't. Because I was in school and then wasn't. Well, something funny happened when we were there, and I, I hope this guy doesn't hear this, but um, I played. So I played a show while we were there, and my wife and I. It was like you know, it, it wasn't like a hooked up like you know state sponsored festival gig. It was like you know, a kind of a DIY gig, a better one. Yeah, because they probably gave you food. Yeah, they gave us food, but <laughs> my wife, like, I split the bill with this guy who's like perpetually on tour. She's always at, I kind of busted my chops why I don't tour more. Mm-hmm. And she she observed for the first time what that lifestyle looks like. We get, like, he comes back to the quote-unquote green room, mm-hmm. and he's pulling, like, a banana peel 
and dirty socks out of his bag. Yeah. And like scarfing, like, you know, they put out like chips and dip for us. They'd even put, you know, it wasn't even like hooked up, but, and she was like, oh, that's, I was like, yeah, that's it. Like you sit around in these kind of dingy spaces after being on the train all day uh-huh. or in a car. And your your back feels insane. Yeah. And maybe you make 200 bucks on a good night. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you you learn a lot about people really quickly. Yeah. And yourself also. And you your taste in music just gets to this really advanced place. <laughs> <laughs> like It gets to a salty place. How does, you, how does it get to an advanced place? Okay. So... I like bad. It's like, yeah, we're good. I'm just. I'll be doing that a lot. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, I, yeah. I, this is my first podcast. <laughs> it's my only one. Yes. Okay. Um, oh, what the fuck? It's okay. I got really into when I was on tour the first couple times, like by myself, like Sophistapop stuff from the '80s. Like I don't. I, don't, I grew up in the '80s, and I don't know what that is. You know, Scritti Politti. No. <laughs> you know, Prefab Sprout. No. You know, Blue Nile. I don't know what anything you're saying is. Okay, so, like, these are, like, hyper... It's weird to me that you don't know Scritti, because they have that song that's like, The first time, baby, that I came to you, I do things that you want me to. It's like... I'm sure I've heard it. You've totally heard it. Okay. But also, Miles did one of, if not his totally last solo on a Scritti song. Oh, really? Yeah. They're, like, a a crazy band, and uh, the guy's also really into like crit theory and have they have a song called like Jacques Derrida but that was when Ooh. they were post-punk but now they have now in the 80s they had like major big budget synth shit and it's so smart and like gross and committed mm-hmm. like totally committed and like perverse and stuff and that ambitious whoa, that ambitious lovers band sounds right. like them right 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 okay yeah they sound like them if they were like not as good go, <laughs> no like going for it differently I see because Arto that yeah that band <laughs> anyway so you so, get, you so you listen to this stuff on the road oh yeah i listen to that stuff in like deep purple and like just like deep purple combination of like garbage and then like really deep records and these are solo tours when i'm solo i go more into it yeah yeah but when i'm with people like i don't know Sometimes I joke inside my head that the reason that my punk band broke up is because like I really wanted to listen to this like eighties shit on tour and, and they just couldn't stand They just for hated it. it a lot. And I wanted it so badly and it was just not the thing. I got in like a honest to goodness fight. I mean, we didn't hit each other, but like we yelled and it was uncomfortable because I was on tour with a bunch of guys who really wanted to listen to Metallica and I was like, I hate Metallica Aww. worse than any <laughs> band almost. And I, and I ended up like putting my headphones on and listening to something else. So I wouldn't have to listen to it. And Aww. it became like, yeah, well that's what, that's what the last tour was like for us is a lot of people on headphones when I was listening to like Chris Weissman for the 90th time that day. And well, that's a bit excessive. Well, yeah, but I mean, speaking of the eighties, <laughs> when I was a kid, uh, two summers in a row, my mom drove me and my brother from New York to, um, to South Dakota. Whoa. And, yeah, it's a long drive. It's like three or four days. Yeah. And <clears throat> she had one tape. It had just come out. It was the George Michael album with like Faith and I Want Your Sex and all that stuff. And she just played it. The whole time? The whole time. Okay, it wasn't like that. Like I wasn't that gung-ho about anything. Uh-huh. But that must have made the biggest musical difference in your life of any record. <laughs> Maybe. I think you should really like examine and like, look deeply into the DNA of the things, the choices you make and see if it has the antecedent there. Well, so I, I did a solo tour over the summer. And you listened to that nonstop? I, well, close. <laughs> I, I spent the entire time, because I was up by myself, listening to music 
that I listened to from 91 to 93. Music that I haven't listened to. So I was like age 11 to 13, a lot of music I haven't listened to since then. Like Bush? They were later. No, I mean, I, 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 mean, I like to think I listened to cool shit. I was listening to like Pantera and, you know, Alice in Chains and stuff. Oh, word, yeah. And that music's like even better than I remembered it being. Yeah. It's really hooked up. <laughs> yeah. So there's a, there's a nobility to like uncool music or like uh-huh. music that's get, that is excluded from like some sort of master hipster narrative. It usually has like a kind of complexity that people don't want to give it credit for having. And yeah it's, it's so sad because it's so cool yeah like these 80s bands compositionally so blue nile it sounds like two people discovering music for the first time and like making music really carefully and everything's really slow and precise and there's just like a hi-hat here like a weird synthy huh. patch here it's fucked up but it's all like pop music essentially i mean i think blue nile's like as far as you could push pop music before it becomes like a, like a scribbled wall really yeah it's i mean i think it's like way more hardcore than metal like really as an avowed fan yeah because metal blue nile blue nile british yeah british yeah yeah produced by thomas dolby so it also sounds immaculate oh shit okay yeah and like the thing with metal is it plays with aesthetics a lot that are like specific and beautiful and compositionally it's so much more advanced than almost anything but when you're getting into the pop thing it plays with form like the like the argo or something uh-huh. where you're just like this has to come here but then if it doesn't it becomes significant but it's still that function and the aesthetics are different per song and like oh, it's amazing and blue nile just sounds like it was made by people who had maybe never even heard music before but they know kind of instinctively in quotes what like pop music is or something that's the best thing ever yeah it's fucked it's I like mean, is there like amazing um I played with Jandek one time and Whoa. before the gig, someone said to me, he's like, yeah, just like getting ready for the gig. Like it's going to, it's like, they, that's how they described it. Like it sounds like music made by someone who's never heard music, but has heard what it's supposed to sound like. Yeah. Like the essence or something. Yeah. Or a projection of it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a weird thing. Mm-hmm. And once, and you're like, once you, you, you can't fake it. Nope. You really can't. People try to fake it all the time. It's sort of like, whoa, I'm really bad at having a mic near me. It's sort of like like Albert Eiler clones or something. Right. Where you hear Eiler and it's like a pure expression of intent and uh-huh. conviction. But people hear that and they like the surface level. Like People actually do this in modern jazz stuff with like Paul Motion, I think, on drums, where they like hear that it sounds like a, a continuous discovery musically for him the whole time. And with Eiler, like, discovery, but also, like, the your very soul being touched by, like, God's lightning or uh-huh. something. And um, they want that, so they go for the aesthetic and, like, the sonic trappings of it rather than the, like, granular intentionality that yeah. has to happen internally to get there. And I feel like when people make pop music and they're not thinking about that, like, deep explorative thing, it's just, like, almost unlistenable. But when they're doing it from, like, a pure place, it's like, whoa. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... A hundred percent of the time, it's a list of ingredients that can't be printed and handed over. Like so, like with Eiler, from like a technical standpoint, like there's no one transcribing Eiler solos. Yeah, like technically speaking, they're not that complex. It's all these things together that yeah. makes it what it is, and therefore it can't be xeroxed. Right, and there's also a complexity of of nuance that comes from an individual source of breath. Mm-hmm. And of course, I know like literally next to nothing about how to do things that involve breathing when I play music. No, but, but you clearly do. I mean, yeah, but yeah. you listen to it, and there's there's a lot of, yeah. I mean, th- a lot of people like to make a lot of about 
the like unrepeatability of a moment in improvisation uh-huh. but i really think it has to do with like the physical body doing things that you can't repeat and eiler is sort of the master of that it's sort of like okay do you remember the this is really not this is really not something that should be going in this conversation necessarily uh-huh. but um do you remember like the first time you heard feist after listening to like pop music singers and like you can hear like creaky fucked up things in her voice uh-huh. before it became the only way that women are like allowed to sing or whatever okay um it's sort of like that like because you get a sense of timeliness because that's how her throat sounded in that recording thing right and it's like all intimate because you can hear like small glottal things and stuff with Eiler or with any like great horn player it's like the same shit where it's like super embodied and I don't know why I brought up Feist I've been kind of thinking a lot about like time as like an embodied sounding thing mm. and mm. for some reason like I my ex my ex ugh my explorations of things when I'm like on the road is like, what did I listen to when I was growing up? And it was that a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's funny to, I mean, when I was, so uh, when I was on that tour, I was talking about, I mean, I listened to, was it solo? It was solo. So it was just me and my thoughts and me and me like listening to the shit. So I was listening to all that, you know, Pantera and stuff, which by the way, vulgar display of power, I think is the best mastered record ever. The way that album's mastered, is insane that's so cool just as a side note but listening to stuff like the residents you know that was something i was really into as a teenager and and there's a loneliness to that music oh yeah like a really uncomfortable loneliness yeah uh, and 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 a lo-fi-ness that again it's not something that was can be faked or or reproduced and would sound gross if you did but (laughs) but i but i think like i that's probably what i was listening to when i listened to it as a teenager was the loneliness yeah that's why like young men really in jazz school particularly like tim and eric is it's that same loneliness well but it's also funny and they're trying to do it but it does speak to a loneliness like a specific like specificity totally i mean i i I didn't go to jazz school but i was just joking with a friend yesterday that like if i was a young warthog person today (laughs) if i was like a 16 year old today i'd be an incel Oh Which my. like wasn't a thing that we had. You you would say that? Well, you, no. Do you really? Th- Sorry. So I just learned what these things are. Okay, but there's like a whole there's a weight to saying that that I don't think well, you, I don't, you think maybe I don't get it. Well, what no, I no, mean, no. I don't think you don't get it. I just think that like saying that is I, an absolutely ridiculous thing to do. Well, I guess I guess what I'm saying by saying that though is like you think you were one, and then you would grow up and love women, hopefully at some point. I, if, I you wa- if you well, want, well, no, to. I ain't trying to be like <laughs> like an old geezer because I ain't. But when you were a 16 year old virgin when I was growing up, mm-hmm. you were just a 16 year old virgin who was like frustrated, yeah. and, and lonely. I was like you know weirdo anyway, so I was like lonely. But now there's like a label for it, and I think people buy into the label, and then they find community in it, and they sit on these chat rooms and shit. Whoa. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but... I I mean, I don't know either, because I live really far away from a lot of people. So, like, maybe the internet actually has a lot more to do with, like, people's social identities, though I know that there are subgroups. But I can't in good faith imagine that somebody would be like, yes, I am an incel, and then be like... Like no, typing about it. I watched a, a Vice news thing about it. Oh God! I'm pointing at the computer, just like <laughs> I'm pretty sure 90 percent of what I see on the internet isn't real. Yeah. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know anything at all about that. I just it, it's something that's been bugging me out because like when I walk, I mean, I okay. So in my actual life, as like a glob of flesh with bones, like 
We share this. Yeah, I have like dumb uncles that believe crazy shit. And, dumb uncles. You know, they're like I don't get along with them because they believe crazy shit and they're dumb. Yeah. Um, but like I see like these 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 like like social civil wars taking place on the internet. Mm-hmm. I don't see them in my regular life, so I feel like either. I mean, there's a very good chance I live in a bubble in Lower Manhattan. Possibly. Shrug to you. <laughs> yeah. There's a possibility that like, oh, this like heated dialogue is only happening like in comment sections on computers. There's there's a possibility that, you know, it's, I don't know what's fucking real anymore, but I'm pretty sure every time I stare at my screen for more than like 20 minutes, like I feel worse than I did before. Oh yeah. Well, that's like incontrovertible. That's like how it is. I think it has to do with the same impulse that makes like Eiler sound like Eiler in the sense that there's timeliness that's embodied Uh when what happens on the internet that we see is like the negative image of that where what we see is like somebody's id but like disembodied so they can think whatever they want without the ramifications of their like social identity. Right. Except maybe the one the parts of their social identity that they choose to present or like put out verbally and there is like a sense of like timelessness because it will be like there but it's all time stamped and it doesn't really ever go away, but it also totally goes away because everything is time stamped and everything like exists forever conceptually on the internet or for 10 seconds. Right. But either way, the conti- like the perception of time is so different in that, in that moment that people can have opinions and maybe, I mean, I don't want to say that I'm anything like an incel because for many, many, many reasons I'm not, but if I were like feeling, Hmm. If I were feeling a type of way and I wanted to explore it, what I do in my personal life, which is like a really funny thing to do, is I just say shit that I like don't know if I'm 100% sure I believe in. And then as soon as I say it out loud, I can know if it's true or not. Because you can see how it hits against the world. Yeah. Or like not even about the reaction, like literally just saying the words. Mm-hmm. I'll be like, oh, actually, no, that's not true at all. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I've, I've had that happen like inadvertently. Like I... I think of a specific example of something i said to a friend in conversation and the second i said it i was like what yeah you just have to surround yourself with people who know that like you're the sort of person who will just leap into the abyss of the abyss of unknowing uh-huh. <laughs> and like say something that you don't really know if you believe in but right. that that's also like i don't know i've very much winnowed the people that i can do that with to a small but strong rule well, that's all you need so wait so you're from maryland you grew up in maryland yes where in baltimore uh no i grew up in a town called gaithersburg is it near baltimore <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay so um it's like i don't know like under an hour from baltimore and closer to but still under an hour from washington dc oh okay yeah so it's like between the two it's in a a weird county called Montgomery County. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've driven through there. I'm sure you've driven through there. It's on the news because of the recent Kavanaugh thing. Wait, is that where he lives? Well, yeah, that's like... Oh, that's where he did his... Right. Yeah, let's let's steer clear of that. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's why people have known it when I've been like, I'm from Maryland, which really never almost ever comes up. Right. But, but I have to imagine that people who lived... What's the name of the place? Gaithersburg. Gaithersburg, like it still like it was like Washington people, right? Yeah, it was people who worked in government a lot. Yeah. And there was um Yeah, I mean it's a pretty multicultural zone because of the government thing and because of diplomats. But diplomats. <laughs> but a lot of <laughs> sorry. <laughs> oh man. But a lot of uh the funniest part about the the Kavanaugh thing besides him saying that he drank beer, which was so fucking outrageous to me. Um 
not that drinking beer is outrageous. I'm having one right now. I know. You're having a New England IPA, which is like a look towards the future of me as somebody who lives in New England while we're talking about Maryland. Wait. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Okay. That was like a really... Wait, do you like beer? I'm gluten intolerant. Oh. <laughs> but I do, sort of. I'm a really horrible drinker. But, yeah, it wouldn't be such a good hang with you and Kavanaugh if you don't like beer. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't fit in, and also I'm a woman. So that would be just ruthlessly bad. I have. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but, yeah, the funniest thing about it is that he was, like, I think in the yearbook he was, like, making fun of somebody because she lived in Gaithersburg, and it's poorer oh, really? than where he lived, and he would never invite somebody from Gaithersburg to a party. I think something that wasn't... um publicized enough in any official way because we we knew this to be true but it was never part of the official narrative is like i hope this doesn't come out bad um fingers crossed and also you have a button yeah that's true uh <laughs> like sexual misconduct well no sexual misconduct was a big part of it obviously but the fact <laughs> that he was such a repellent creep who is from the mold of repellent creeps that we all know. Yeah. Like that to me was enough. That in and of itself was enough to say, fuck this guy, he's done. Because he's literally like every dumb creep I knew in high school. Yeah. And you take one look at him, you hear the tone of his voice, and you say, I know what that is. Yeah, it's entitlement. It's just like embodied. Like if his head was inside out, it would all just be entitlement and pictures, like red versions of him played by Lewis Black, who is also from Gaithersburg. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> uh, or oh, maybe from Rockville, which is the next town over. Right. So, wait, were you a strange person before you went to NEC? What does that mean? <laughs> I don't know. I, yeah, probably. Well, the timeline, I don't know. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So you, you played music in high school and yeah, I played hung a out lot with of... the kids that smoked. <laughs> uh, yeah. Especially towards the end. I, um... I have a tendency not towards like being a shut in because I'm pretty extroverted, but like mm. towards like self-imposed isolation to doing stuff. And so I can do stuff. I mean, not to doing stuff like I'm isolated from doing stuff, which would be a truly bonkers way to live. But <laughs> like the Unabomber. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Like the like Ted Cruz, the Zodiac guy. I just saw a fucked up documentary last night. About Ted Cruz. No, about a woman in a house by herself. Oh, hello. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. I'm right here, buddy. Um, <laughs> ask me anything. Yeah, but... Um, <laughs> yeah, I guess I was weird the whole time. Uh, I played a lot of jazz in Washington, D.C. growing up. Oh, really? Yeah, like hardcore. And then uh, would do that a lot instead of like going to track meets or like doing high school-y person obligations. But you, you were serious about the guitar. Oh, yeah. I loved it. And it was cool, too, because I learned it after... I learned like the first couple chords from my mom and then I had this mentor who was pretty toxic but taught me a lot of jazz theory stuff like before. I mean, but he... toxic and jazz theory kind of go hand in hand a lot of the time. <laughs> they can, yeah, they really can because it's all, again, about master narratives. But right. he, yeah, so he was really helpful though and he had me like hearing upper structure stuff and like heavy harmony shit when I was really young. Really young being like? Like 13. Okay. And... Uh, which was fucking amazing. And he hit me to really funny things. Like he was really into ECM. So like I learned a lot about like Miroslav and shit when I was growing up, which is so funny. And now, mm -hmm. now speaking of like weird music, me and my boyfriend went on tour and all we listened to is like good things like a Sono and bad things, like bad things in quotes, like, like Matheny-ish fusion shit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm not, uh, yeah. No, I know. It, it's deeply uncool, but like, so are we, I guess. But I, I love it also. It, it slaps. 
Slaps? It slaps. What does that mean? It rules. Where, where's that slang from? Cause I need uh, to know whether or not I just do it. Uh, the internet and people, and you should, and it's amazing. Continuum proposal. Okay. Slaps on the one side, which means it rules, and fucks on the other side, which F-U-X. also F U C K S X. I mean, I know what fuck means. But... Yeah, but like this song, fucks, is like it's an idiom that people use, and it's sick. Wait, it's a term? Yeah. How do you use it? Like, uh, hmm. Like Silent Communications by Sly Stone is a song that fucks. This song fucks. Oh, that's fucking fire. Yeah. See, I used some shit from a couple of years ago. Yeah, no, it's still, it's it's a thing. Um, And then you could say like for songs that slap, it would be like, you could be like a total nerd and you can be like, like tired of waiting by no means no slaps. I don't know anything. <laughs> I, I know no means no and I like no means no. Yeah, they slap. Yeah. They don't fuck though. Could you imagine? You can't. I, I don't know what any of this means. I know that the bass player from No Means No is pretty fucking pleasing to me. Yeah. His sound. So he slaps. He doesn't slap. He doesn't slap. But he sounds like he he's got thinks very, about he's it. He's got a very percussive sound on the electric bass. So like buoyant. I love it. I love No Means No. I just no. read an interview. I, I got super obsessed with his bass tone last year. So I was like reading all these interviews right with on. him to find out. like, how, And he was like, yeah, I go to like... I don't think he's a guitar center, but like he, it was like I go to whatever stupid music store and I buy the three hundred dollar Mexican P bass, yeah, and my chain is that into a compression pedal into the fucking box. That's like my bass player, and he doesn't even have a compression pedal. For, Who's your bass player for my rock band? I don't think you'd know him yet, but his name is Steve Cameron, and he's actually a hardcore drummer. Okay, but he's like a really amazing bass player guy in general. I love yeah, him. love him to bits. So wait, so you start playing the guitar, and your parents found you this guy, this teacher. Uh, yeah, yeah, they did. Uh, they went to this thing called like, I forget what it was called, but it turned into something called like Bach to Rock. Oh, that but, sounds really cool. Oh yeah, it really was. Um, I love, I loved it. No, but they they kind of like hooked me up with this dude there. He taught me jazz theory, but he played upright bass. Oh, so I really was better at reading bass clef than treble for like years because why was that? Because I had to basically translate what he was doing from like the stuff that he knew about theory and like music into guitar language. And I didn't really know, um, not like what I was doing, but I like, I had to figure it all out technically on my own when he was giving me this information so I could get it like, excuse me, (laughs) gross, like under my fingers and it would mean something real rather Uh than having like this guy just say some shit. So I was heavy into the received info for a long time, but there was always a sense of otherness, like, because he wasn't just like, like, here, then you play this on the guitar. Here's another shape that you play on the guitar. It was always like, well, I have to play it probably outside of that octave because those tessiturs will sound bad together. So I have to figure out this or do all of the voicing, like modulation stuff and like, uh, and inversions and things like figuring them out all by myself because I didn't know which books were good or like if I should even look at books, which probably I shouldn't. So mm. it was a lot of like, I had to learn a lot of things on my own. And so I have, I had, I had and continue to have like pretty hilariously gaping, like conceptual holes, which I, I'm actually really grateful for. Mean, like in your, in like my conception of like the jazz guitar. <laughs> like, yeah, I think that's probably a good thing. I think it's such a good thing. But, there's times when it felt really bad, so, and I'm grateful for those too because then I turned into an arrogant little shit, and I'm like, right. yes, I don't know that. Can you? Are these like things that you don't know that you don't know, or are they things that you can point to specifically and say that area of exploration was avoided for whatever reason? Um, 
the latter for yeah. sure because if I don't know what I don't know, I'll probably want to know it. And I live really in like hermetic zone, so I could probably learn it if I wanted to. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so there's like things at my fingertips, but isn't it way more interesting to learn about like poetic feet or meter and then try to think about what that would mean in terms of like phraseology than it is to be like, well, this guitar player did this really cool method for doing whatever and then try to do that, like recap it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, like, I don't know. I'd rather reach out and then like with reaching out, get something really specific and personal. Uninspired jazz guitar is... It's crushing. It, it, in a bad way. Yeah, no, it, it <laughs> announces itself, like, perhaps more boldly and clearly than a lot of other musical tropes. Like, you know what it is a second, like, it, it, it turns up. Yeah. <laughs> and it's really, for me personally, really difficult to, to just be cool with. Yeah. Like, yeah. There, there's guitar, certain, like, even, like, good guitar, like, good guitar players of note. Like, I can't deal with them because I hear too many, like, strains of that shit. Yeah, I think it's like it's something that happens when your instrument is prominent in many or really in just one genre, because when you want to take it to a place that's different, it ends up inhabiting a different aesthetic landscape and different things are called up for it. You can't just you can't and you can and you should, but you shouldn't play guitar language in situations. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, it, there's mm -hmm, just, like, mm -hmm. there's an axis of whatever, and you have to just, like, look at it, and it's all spider webby and gross and, like, there. And then you have to, like, contend with that. It's like your, it's like your instrument is, like, ten instruments, and then you have to play them to play mm -hmm. the guitar, because it is. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then there's this other thing that is so funny about jazz guitar, where, like, people really want to have an identity on the thing so they have like a fucking thing and that's the thing that they do and it's like right. maybe a pedal or like maybe like 60 beautiful Strymon pedals that are like so fucking expensive or like maybe right. yeah or maybe it's like I'm the most ripping bebop guitar player ever or like I like Danny Gatton how can that be in my improv concept or like whatever but it's just like their thing as if it's like it's like a weird like like post-capitalist thing to have to do it is. where you're just a specialist if you play the instrument when you can really just do anything as long as you mean it and like work hard at it yeah yeah <laughs> that's so pure <laughs> <laughs> sorry about the monologue there no no that was good so you, you i have to imagine that your parents um are jews or at least mm -hmm. one of them is both Jews, thank you. Yeah, uh, so I would also <laughs> then have to imagine that if you had an enthusiasm for music, that they were probably supportive of it. Yes, that's amazing. That's an amazing, beautiful leap that you made. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, they tend to... Yeah, they compound. They compound. Well, the, but those parents of that persuasion, they if they see hard work involved, they tend to support it. Damn straight. Yeah. Uh, so... They were probably okay with you not going to those track meets that you mentioned. Oh, hell yeah. Because you were going to the guitar lessons, and you were learning the guitar as a serious craft. Yeah. Were you responding to the improvisational aspect of the jazz stuff, or was it really like the structural sort of harmony stuff? Um, well, I do like chess-like thought, though I do really suck at chess. Mm -hmm. I do like the idea in jazz harmony, or I especially did back then, of having to really tease out passageways through things strategically like that felt really good 
but when I was really practicing jazz stuff on my own it would start off with like learning a bebop head or something and then it would just be improvising and trying to get the melodies like that I was hearing down instantaneously so it wasn't like I was playing patterns but I just was getting really heavy into playing melodies verbatim from my mind really fast like connection stuff which Mm -hmm. is like how (laughs) unbeknownst to me exactly how like NEC would think about things like that working and all that and I didn't really realize it but it was like coming from a really harmonic standpoint um which i didn't know at the time even though i really liked that stuff you were listening to ornette in high school yeah i was listening to ornette i was listening a lot to west montgomery who i still stand by of course and to even though like a lot of people imitating him is just like jazzy jazz guitar yeah he's like kind of one of the main reference points for that shit yeah because he's the only one who had that bounce it wasn't like grant green and even people like barney kessel or something they're just they're amazing at the thing that they do, but it's just like not, it doesn't have, it's not buoyant. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was listening to that stuff. What was the question? <laughs> Sorry. Oh, just what, if, <laughs> if the improvisational aspect of jazz had become an interest at that age. Absolutely. Because I felt like every time I heard somebody play received vocabulary, it was disingenuous and I couldn't trust it. If you heard them play received vocabulary, like they were improvising in the mold of something? Yeah, but if they were improvising in the mold of something and you could tell that they were doing it just so that they would look like they were doing it right in front of their other friends. Do you know what I mean? I do know what you mean. And that's actually, I think, a larger existential problem than we often give credit to. Oh, yeah. Because I think it creeps in even like if you've been playing music for 20, 30, I mean, for this person anyway. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I'm rocking like a... I gotta say 20 because i started piano when i was five right well it's still <laughs> that that concept of like am i doing the right thing still creeps in yeah all the fucking time yeah well it's just the other gets um shifted so the other that you want to be telling that you're doing the right thing to or hope that they'll judge you appropriately it just ends up like a different part of your brain mm-hmm. yeah um and also there's like d- many different bosses that you can choose to answer for in terms of like beings like arbiters in your mind you know like the thing I write in a song might not necessarily be the best thing that I would be doing in the moment. Just kidding. All the first ideas are good. <laughs> <laughs> it's just what you do afterward that ruins it. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so you, went, you did you go to public school? No, I was at a private school. For what, what kind of private school? Called St. Andrew's Episcopal School. You went to an Episcopalian school? And I'm Jewish. Did they know? <laughs> Oh yeah. Was it like that? Do you ever see School Ties with Brendan Fraser? No, but I do like him. I like really? his face. It's kind of <laughs> he's got a cool face. He does. Yeah. He's beautiful. Yeah. Well, not like, not like hunky. Well, I think. Well, he, he was, was at one point. That he was, was like, like his going whole thing. for it. Like I believed, I believe in somebody at the time thinking that he was hunky. But you should I, watch School Ties. He's just beautiful in a different conceptual way. Like he's sort of like a nice boxer dog. Yeah, people give him short shrift. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Speaking of which, just like, let me go completely off topic for mm-hmm. a second. I was hanging out. I, I, I go to LA pretty frequently uh, to visit my wife's family, my family. Nice. Uh, we're, you know. Uh, <laughs> You're married. Yeah. And uh, we go to the comedy store a lot and we watch comedy. And it's like, I, I, we go there for, let me be concise. When you go to the comedy store and you hang out, it's almost like one of those Zorn improv nights where you mm-hmm. see like a million different people play for like a few minutes at a time. Yeah. And Paulie Shore, who was born and raised in the comedy store, I watched him play. He was born in the comedy store? His mom, his parents owned and started the store. Yeah, but yeah. Bo- 
I, mean, I don't think he was physically born there. I don't think his like her water. But <laughs> sorry to like take you away from concision. this guy who like everyone derides. Every like it's unanimous. Like the jury is out on public opinion about Paulie Shore. Yeah, he was the fucking funniest dude that night. That rules. That's and it slaps. I was like, you know, how much of him just being up there, fucking being the funniest guy all night, is is rooted in the fact that he knows everyone in the world thinks he's a piece of shit. Whoa, you think that that's reactionary? It, no, it didn't. I mean, everything Not, in that way would be reactionary a little bit, wouldn't it? If you yeah, if you know objectively that everyone is like, yeah, you're a piece of shit. Yeah, no, that's really funny because that's what it felt like at Eastman. <laughs> Did you go to Eastman? Yeah. Wait. All right. All right. 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 So I'll probably cut that bit about Pauly Shore. Why? <laughs> <laughs> I said that he slapped. He does. Well, he, he does. So wait. So you went to high school and then you went to Eastman? Yeah. But right after high school for undergrad. Uh huh. What did you study there? Jazz guitar. Really? Really. <laughs> so you were serious. You're like, I'm going to fucking turn all the bass on my amp up, all the treble down. and. No, I was just, I turned the tone down, but I kept the rest even. <laughs> of course. But you wanted to play over the changes. Uh, yeah, and I played an arch top. Really? Oh, yeah. What I do you s- play now? I play many guitars. Um, but if you sit down to improvise with, with Chess and Trevor. Oh, I play a gonna- jazz master. A jazz man. Which I kind of, I regret because it has like a lot of buzzy hum. And it's got a lot, yeah, a lot of issues that guitar. Oh, I fucking hate it. But the it's neck. It's cool looking. I, I, it really is. Except for mine. It's kind of like snot yellow and it has like weird like barf. I don't know. It's, uh, it's not That covered. sounds even cooler looking. No, you'd think it would be like, we all like the Melvins here and we all like gross stuff and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And we all like the 90s and jazz masters. But like, it's just, it's like yellow and there's like a red ugly pick guard that i hate sounds great yeah okay it's great it's yeah. great it's great it's a really good guitar <laughs> it's great yeah so you were playing an art shop you were playing like a guild or some shit that's so funny i was playing a guild yeah i was playing a guild x170 sure and then um and then i got a different guitar and then i stopped caring and i got a jazz master which during one big band audition at eastman um, you know how sometimes when you press the whammy bar, it like knocks the other thing out and then like it's totally at, in a different tuning. Yeah. Yeah. That happened. And then I went up to Bill Dobbins. Maybe we should, whatever. I don't care. And, <laughs> and he was just, I was just like, I want you to know that like I prepared for this audition. My guitar literally broke. And he's just like, I don't think he prepared. Like he was just like a, maybe we just strike that. <sighs> but it is the truth of that zone for me. And it was crazy. But now I play that. And when I'm playing solo improv, I play an unamplified um, Gibson Archtop because I like Derek Bailey and because it sounds really cool and amplified. Is there anyone better than Derek Bailey? No, probably not. Maybe Anthony Braxton. Have you heard their duo record? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got that shit fucks. <laughs> it does fuck. <laughs> that record makes me think about things. Yeah, that's important. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean... <laughs> The, anyway, there, there's some pieces on that record that are duo for clarinet and guitar. Yeah. And I was, I literally, when I got that record, I skipped to those tracks just to hear, I was like, how are you, like, what's Braxton going to do? And it's like, oh, cool. Braxton, like, isn't that good in this situation either. Yeah, it's hard. It's, those are two things that you have to really think about duration differently when you're improvising like that. Yeah. With those two sounds. Yeah. Yeah. When did you first hear Derek Bailey? Um, I first heard Derek Bailey in high school and I was dating a jazz piano player guy who was really into fish and he was like, check out this guy who doesn't know how to play the guitar. <laughs> why did he even know about it if he was going to be like shitty about it? Because YouTube. I don't think he was shitty about it. I think he was genuinely responding to the sense of play. Uh-huh. Um, 
it was amazing. I think like I heard it and I was like, okay, I can see that this person's writing it off. And I, as a young woman with like a, a weird sensibility of worth will just be like, well, men don't like it. And then I went home and listened to it a lot. And I was like, okay. <laughs> you were able to, oh, cause you had the internet, right? Cause yeah, right. we had the internet. And right. also like, I had a really like, once I ditched the toxic mentor guy, I I learned from a really amazing jazz guitarist who lived in Maryland called Paul Wingo, who is like a, he's dead now, which sucks, but he's amazing. Like super swinging, funny guy, total Zen master type. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know, the jazz Zen master guitar guy. Um, But he was like better than that. He was a true angel. And I knew that he like knew Derek Bailey, though he didn't play like him They knew each other. No, no, no. Like his his music. music. Yeah. Yeah. Paul. But yeah, so I got into Derek Bailey then. And I got into like Olatunji, like the Coltrane record. Yeah, really young, like the last recorded concert of Coltrane. Yeah, yeah, because I like extremes, and I was like really into. That's it. Yeah, (laughs) it was amazing for me. And then when I got to school to Eastman, I um, felt really insecure about my bebop playing, so I practiced really hard. And then I practiced really hard with horrible technique, and then got a hand injury in my right hand and couldn't play for eight months. Carpal tunnel. Uh, cubital. Uh huh. And it had like thoracic outlet. Really. In your picking hand. My picking hand, yeah. yeah. This hand's are the other hand's been fine forever. But the um, <laughs> since I couldn't play, I was mental practicing a lot, and that was chess. That was like psychotic personal chess. And then I got into like noise because my friend Brian was like, "We should play," and he's like a brilliant noise guy, like a noise table, like build electronic your own shit. gadgetry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we played together, and that's how I really got like into the practice of improvisation, not just alone. Because he didn't care if I could, like, rip those shits. And honestly, ew, shits, why? And honestly, like, when I was playing bebop, my shit hurt. Like, everything felt horrible. But when I was playing noise, I could play stuff that was, like, faster and more well-considered and more technically taxing in a classically understood technical. And I could do it. So I think a lot of it was, like, psychosomatic or something, where I just knew that I hated that. Um, I hated the way that it was, that I was told to be good at it rather than choosing to be good at it yeah yeah i think that environment's hard for a lot of people i think it's really hard for people who aren't like rich white men like many environments because like yeah i was lucky to go there and to get in but i think i may have been like the first female jazz guitar player there but they didn't tell me that i'm just like have never heard of anyone there um who was like that. And then there was another girl in my program at the same time who was like sort of mean to me. And it was just really lonely. Mm-hmm. And it's a gross, aggressive environment. It is. I mean, even like, I think among like white males, yeah, there's a, they, even then they sorted out pretty quickly. Who's beta, who's alpha. Who's you're zi- so into this internet incel shit right now. Sorry. <laughs> well, I know. I mean, I'm the just in- yelling. <laughs> but the incel shit is an extension of, you of know, that. Yeah. A gener- uh, uh, uh. <laughs> A species long yeah. <laughs> way of thinking about things, but wow! I mean, who, who the so fuck cr- was I around? Uh, I think it's it actually is traumatic for everybody who isn't like a winner. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which I think is true of life, maybe, but yeah. but in jazz school it's different because it's like a completely like it's how good are you at signing your life away to somebody else's ideals for what good is? Yeah, and like also mainstream like. Uh, probably like working in like finance or something it must feel the same way like how successful could you be in that way but what was so awesome about doing music that didn't feel like that 
was that it was like how well can you adhere to your personal code and also how like developed can your personal like musical thing be and how you, you came to honor that at that time i think i always did i think i always honored it but i think i honored it from a like sense that i could excuse bad musical choices and be like whatever like i'm doing this because the form means this thing mm -hmm. when it was just my own like conceptual laziness but i think i got really rigorous about that when i started to realize that those choices are really serious like yeah. like the choices that can come off as just like liberal arts college like i'm gonna do some shit and it'll be bullshit like they actually have ramifications and those sure. ramifications can be holy uh-huh yeah so around then i think and is that around the time you left eastman to, and switched over to nec i actually graduated from eastman Wait, did you go to the New England Conservatory or not? Yeah, I did. I went. I went to a master's program there. Oh, sorry, I did. That sounded aggressive. <laughs> sorry. I, I, I thought you went there, but yeah, I did. Um, I really, really did. <laughs> it was amazing. But yeah, I I went there because I knew that I needed something that wasn't Eastman, and I didn't feel ready to go into the world with like of music or whatever with all of the conceptual scars that Eastman had left for me like I genuinely don't think it was like that bad or whatever but I know that I'm really sensitive and like mm -hmm. it was so other to me like the way that I felt not treated by the people though some of the people it was like I just was coming from a really different conceptual place and I needed to get that shit broken and I liked Rand's music and so, so Rand Blake was originally what um called Rand your attention to it <laughs> actually something way funnier so, <laughs> um, I went through a really heavy period of reading that, like, Hank Steamer heavy metal bebop thing. Yeah. And, like, a few people had mentioned NEC, and one person mentioned Joe. And then I posted on, like, Facebook. Uh -huh. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, and then I, like, posted on Facebook, like, should I go to NEC or CalArts, which is the other one. And they told me on the inter on the thing that I didn't swing hard enough, so I didn't go to CalArts, which Wait, is... Wait, CalArts told you that? Yeah! Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Let's not talk about that. We should even drop it out. But basically, I was just like, hey, friends of the world, uh -huh. like, <laughs> what should I do? And um, my friend Andrew Klinkman was just like... I know Andrew. Yeah. Yeah. He was just like, go hang with Joe. And then I was like, okay. You were aware of Joe Morris? Yeah. I didn't really know his music all that well, but I knew he was on faculty. And then as soon as I got in, I did some research and I was like, whoa, this is fucking weird. I like this. Joe's heavy. <laughs> Joe's the best. And he yes. was my teacher when I was there the whole time. Joe is the best. Yeah. But Andrew Hawk mentioned him like earlier, which is so funny. And I was just like, yo, okay. And then Wait, you knew Andrew Hawk at NEC or prior to NEC? Prior to NEC from Heavy Metal Bebop blog. <laughs> really? Yeah. I really But you just knew him on paper. You didn't know him as a person. Of course not. <laughs> That's probably good. Uh-huh. <laughs> but yeah, I had I'd heard of that shit and uh -huh. it was so funny <laughs> just the whole thing is so funny i was just like so like alone in understanding a lot of these improv things and actually one of the other reasons is that i was speaking there's this guy robert ianopolo who lives in rochester who would do like jazz stuff for uh -huh. he's a jazz critic and he worked at the library that i was like the circulation and like music desk clerk person at when i was in school and he he just like showed me really cool stuff. Like he got me into like Robert Wyatt and like yeah. that stuff. Like without him, I was just into like Deerhoof and like metal and stuff that was good, but I wasn't into like the weird like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, so I read I read Andrew Hawk's interview and posted on Facebook and ended up in NEC. <laughs> so oh. 
Talk yeah. about advanced. <laughs> yeah. Andrew Hawk. Okay. Yeah. It's weird. I don't know him as a person still, but he did change my life. <laughs> changed a few people's lives. I'm sh- yeah, I heard. <laughs> Shouldn't be joking about that. So, so you were able to approach, I mean, cause at NEC you have Rand Blake, you have Joe Morris, you have Anthony Coleman. I have to imagine Ted Reichman was there by the time you got there. Love. Yes. Yeah. Love Angel Music, baby. I mean, these are access to, you know. <laughs> Heavies. Heavies. Yeah. People, but also some, like, who can really, there's a reason that they're in an institution like that. Because yeah. they can really contextualize things in a, in broad and very specific terms. I couldn't tell you how many different ways Ted has changed my life for the better. Yeah? Yeah. Well, he recorded, he recorded and mixed the solo album. Really? Yeah. In his little basement studio he's got now. Not a basement. A completely different building. Oh, really? Yeah, it's like a garage. Good for Ted. He's, well, he's the best person and he's like Zelig. Like, whenever you're thinking about somebody who's done anything, he's uh-huh. definitely done it and he just won't talk about it. And he was there and that's it. <laughs> it's so cool. Yeah. And he, he's just amazing and super supportive and his kid is so funny. Leo. Leo. Yeah. Bless up, Leo. Love you. Except for Leo tried to teach me like some sort of card game like some pokemon card game thing and kept creating his own rules that sounds about right it was so... with children i mean not with him but yeah, yeah. it was so annoying so <laughs> but but how was boston for you did you dig that uh boston is weird because when i was in masters i was also um well it's really expensive for like very little cultural benefit like yes things being expensive here I still don't really understand it because it's just like this is all imaginary. Like the city of New York. No, like money. Right. <laughs> like, right. Like money, I think of is like, oh, hello, like an exchange of like services and gifts and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I think that people's like renting and everything is just so like everything compounds into this weird like valuation horrible thing. But yeah, Boston's like that, but there's no like cultural institutions of any real worth, I think. It's a weird place. <laughs> well, the Arthur Ganson Museum at MIT is really cool because he has those tiny machines of just uh-huh. like people shaking their <laughs> shaking their heads really slowly. Right. It's amazing. Yeah. But did you get into performing while you were there? Yeah, I performed like three or four times a week. At the Lily Pad or where? <laughs> Anywhere. Because I was in a punk band at the time called Birthing Hips. And yes, which just put out a new record and broke up. Yeah, like last like year this in time. In one like <laughs> yeah. in one move. That was a really hard time for me. Really? Yeah. Yeah, it was. <laughs> really? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um it was though. It was intense. Um but yeah, we were we were starting off. We started off in my first like the end of my first semester. Wait, of grad the other school. people from Birthing Hips were from NEC as well? Three of them were, and then the other one was a partner who we broke up and then transitioned into them being like my favorite punk drummer ever. Okay. And the breakup was so bad, and their partner is so cool to them that they now live in Gainesville, Florida. Yeah, it's cosmic. It's like bonkers to me. But they're they're amazing and deserve peace, like anybody does. But they live in Florida, so... North Florida. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I don't know. But, yeah, so... Owen, who's a drummer, was a holdover um, from the people I love loved and continue to love in Rochester. They were in this punk band called Tapehead, which was the dudes from Brown Sugar, um, one of the dudes from Brown Sugar's like project after that. So good. I, yeah. Yeah, I love I loved it. And I was actually thinking on the way down here about the time that I had to pee really badly and everybody else 
we were all driving to New York from Boston and everybody else like didn't and we were in traffic and I felt so guilty that I bought everybody cannolis because it was <laughs> I like ended up peeing in a cannoli store. <laughs> but uh weird memory. But yeah. Yeah, so Owen and uh Carrie and Andres who are the other members were f- well, Owen was like from life like being a human and then the rest of them were also in school yeah and you know i feel weird about that because we came like right after gorilla toss came out of nec oh yeah Yeah. i I, so i was was listening to birthing hips and i had that thought of like are these like this when anthony coleman is like influencing people that would be playing punk is this what happens i you know that's so funny um i don't know (laughs) <laughs> like i feel like if that's a question i know it's probably like a question without an answer a rhetorical question correct as, as they're known yes um yeah i no i i genuinely just think that like everybody got into no wave in boston around like 2013 and uh-huh. then like wanted to do that because like the boston and the western mass like and the salem and the portland and whatever it's like there's a tendency towards that sound anyway like mm-hmm. people love a certain kind of experimental thing and we loved that i mean it's a nice <laughs> balance of like being like really raw and and but also like with real chops real musicianship of like really holding together a unit in a way that you know requires dog-like focus yeah <laughs> yeah um i think it was like that i'm proud of it the further away i get from it uh the honestly the better i feel emotionally no, it's a fucking cool band yeah with a really cool name <laughs> yeah yeah that was awesome um i i really am proud of our records and i think like a lot of the best parts of my guitar playing i learned with everybody so wait, when you put out the second record did you guys know that okay this will be the last thing we do or no um our singer broke us up like hmm. right after i moved to western mass and I was going to like move to New York instead, but then I'd move to Western Mass. It'd be an easier commute because I was taking the band really seriously. So now I'm just unmoored in the beautiful fall landscape. <laughs> yeah. Wait, so you live in Western, in, um, yeah, I live in Western Mass. In what town? Northfield. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a North. It's a, uh-huh. it's like any, it's like a Mad Libs of Massachusetts town names. Yeah. But I mean, in yeah. my mind, when I, you know, I, I, I've said this on here like a thousand times, but I didn't go to, I didn't go to fucking college, period. But cool. right on. <laughs> well, what? I mean, you got like Lefebvre. Yeah, that's like... true. I've got books right here. I don't need anything else. Yeah, man. <laughs> but he, no, um, in my, so I know like the, the different, what, in terms of like groups of musicians, what the schools are, like, I know what kind of people come out of Mills. I know what kind of people come out of Wesleyan. I know what kind of people come out of LMAO. Of uh, what the funny. fuck is the one that I like in Ohio? Oberlin, you know. I don't, <laughs> I have, and in my mind, like, NEC is this, like, this, just this, like, playground of, like, intense creativity. Yeah, it's, it's like that. Like, I wish I had known about it. Yeah, I wish you, I mean, to have not been accepted. <laughs> yeah, okay. I don't know. I yeah. can I can say some shady things. And, yes, right. Sure, 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 sure. <laughs> but to me, it always I I I I, uh, I certainly idealize it. Yeah, I get that. I mean, I once I knew more about it, I did too. Yeah. And I did CI there, which was like, thank God I wasn't in jazz. <laughs> yeah. Not that it's bad there. There really is so much overlap that you can't tell who's who. But right. Yeah. Um, really. Really. Okay. Like there's there's like the kids who are into like like internet shit and, and those people are like in 
jazz usually and then mm-hmm. there's like folk bluegrass people who are like in ci and shit i don't know it's just a thing it's like a yeah very, it's a bizarre bizarre thing um but it was amazing and rigorous but also like not that rigorous after eastman like eastman was like the kinkiest shit probably kinky as shit it was so kinky because it was just like <laughs> freaky like like you had to get it right in, like I don't know there's something like classic like let's think about good and evil kind of shit at Eastman and it's also felt Christian because it just did for some reason but wait wait wait, wait. this all sounds really like enticing to me I, uh, <laughs> is this a good thing or a bad thing we're talking about uh, or... it's just weird I think like you know the further away I get from Eastman the more I'm like really grateful that I went through such a like non-sexually kinky experience where I'm like Oh, I know what it's like to be held to a very impossible standard and to have to do it. And if I don't do it, I'll feel bad. <laughs> but if I do do it, I'll also kind of feel bad. Yeah. But like not in the like cool, sexy, like I feel bad, like let's listen to Portishead kind of way. Like uh-huh. in the like, like, oh, do I really <laughs> suck at this? What am I doing with my life kind of way? <laughs> I don't know. This is like getting into like a psychological place, but... Um. yeah it was weird and NEC wasn't like that at all so mm-hmm. I think like however rigorous NEC was which it was at times and wasn't at other times it was definitely not as like monumental for me mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> it just well I guess it was in the sense that birthing hips happened and yeah I mean I'm kind of <laughs> wondering about like at some point in a person's life like you meet the people that you're really gonna do some real work with and that to me when and wherever that happens is is something crucial you know and i can remember from my own experience first encountering people where something happened it felt real and 15 20 years later we're still yeah well we don't have birthing hips doesn't have that right i mean based (laughs) uh, yeah yeah not to be like well this is some flat like this is a flat statement but like right yeah i thought it was that which is why i was like pretty much like totally heartbroken the, the year after but but has that band broken up? Broken up? Has that band breaking up um, in any way allowed you to go further? Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> of course. Why do I ask? Yeah. No, no. no. <laughs> well, sorry. Um, yeah, like literally everything got better, but I just couldn't see it for a while, which is actually what it when... does. Yeah. Well, I think any any real loss is unless it's like an untimely death. Like any real loss is like, or like something non consensual. It's like something really good, you know. Yeah, yeah, you just put your finger on it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like a healing thing. I think with um with hips saying bye in my life, like, honestly, like, Boston, the last year of Boston was me, like, making a lot of huge mistakes in my relationships and, like, being sort of horrible and then moving on. <laughs> yeah. And So there was some volatility that was... Well, me and Carrie had, like, a... We had a strange vibe towards the end, and for, no matter how hard both of us tried to, like, communicate, it was just, like, something was different. And I don't really know what it was or what I could have changed, and I've worked on it really hard. But either way, the fact that I, we were both running against, like, some, con- like, imaginary or totally real, but you can't see it kind of brick wall mm. made it, like... Like, it had to end. And then as soon as it ended, like... I was working really hard on getting the VDSQ thing. The what? The solo guitar record. Uh-huh. Like that was coming into stuff. <laughs> I was doing a lot of songs. Um, 
a lot of solo shows in every way that you could do solo shows. I was doing, I started this new power trio rock band, which is so cool, which I love. That's, that's the band with. No, that's the band with my friends from Western Mass. Okay. It's like, I'll send you, it's so funny. It's so cool. It's called Editrix. Well, so I was like, kind of, I was like checking out different shit from you and there seems to be many different sides. And do you have like, is it all one thing or do you feel like the need to kind of draw lines <laughs> and have things be distinguished? Like, I think it's like a, like a cartoon, like Roadrunner thing where if I think too hard about it, I'll stop being able to sure. do it. Um, but, but yeah, I think of them, I thought of them differently and used it as a way to punish myself because uh-huh. I was like, well, I have too many different things that I have to focus on. I'm probably not doing any of them that well. And then I realized like, no, actually it's really important to create like a, like a coherent, beautiful world. Um, if you have like the musical and energetic desire to do so. Yeah. So, but it all really does come from the idea that like ideas will come and then you do them. You know what I mean? Like you, you owe a lot of responsibility to like the first gesture towards the creation of something new. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so sometimes you'll come up with the idea when you're in a band practice and then you have like a sick new song and sometimes you just have to be ready and like what's cool about my career is that I'm no matter where I am, I feel very ready to create with whoever I get to work with. And what, what, to what do you attribute that, um, that, that the readiness? Yeah. I don't know. Cause I don't get enough sleep and I don't eat particularly well. No, but it's something, it would, it's something that would be deeper than that anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it comes from like, like some kind of sense of like, reverence for the thing or like godliness or something mm-hmm. like i really i really do think that i don't really think about it in classically spiritualist terms in any way but i do know that i do believe in some kind of really important force that you can tap into and it's I th- there oh yeah it's never not there yeah yeah i mean it's definitely it's i don't know i'm when i was in i don't know how to talk about it exactly but i do know that it's omnipresent and every time I play and sit down to practice and like do the work, it's like, like it's like warmth opening up in my back to receive something. Like it's like total spooky, godly shit. And like, that's how I can do this, the things that I do. Cause I know it's coming from a genuine place of like actual dedicating my life to this and like true devotion to shit. But also ideas won't run out if you are, open to even the smallest grain of something Mm -hmm. and like the receptivity of that and the feeling of that godliness is in no way separate from like enculturation or like sounds that are informed by like daily shit like it's just like how receptive are you which is why i really like lefebvre Mm -hmm. and like time and timeliness because like examining time and space and stuff is just like another better way to get into like readiness for the compositional moment Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah i don't know <laughs> that's like very like whoa maybe well but that's i th- i mean that's kind of what i'm more interested in these days yeah uh, yeah well, I, mean, I went to a concert the other night that like changed my everything and who was it it was this guy vincent dubois who's the uh the organist for the cathedral of notre dame wow. and i went to an organ recital at the Cathedral of Notre Dame, and he was playing, he played Bach, he played Beethoven, he played uh, Rachmaninoff, he played Liszt, he played all this shit, mm-hmm. and it wasn't necessarily religious music, but sitting in that cathedral, 
Do you think it was the space that created the reverence that Hell made yeah. it possible it, for I you? Mean, it was all of these things. Yeah. You know, it wasn't any one thing. It was a lot of things. And Yeah. Um, certainly to someone like who tend, you know, can tend to be sort of cynical about things, you know, something like that really presented a challenge to that cynicism. And, you know, for me, it makes me wonder what's, what, what am I really interested in? What's really important? Where do I really find nourishment? And right. sitting in a fucking Catholic church, <laughs> you know, like in a cold, damp Catholic church, like with the smell was incredibly nourishing. <laughs> yeah. The beautiful smell. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. No, that's a totally, that's a thing. I used to go to Compline all the time at Eastman because there was a church. Whoa! <laughs> to, mm-hmm. Choking on my own spit in the name of God. But uh, right over, like pat, like down Gibbs Street and over there was a church. And they had these like candlelit services with a straight tone choir that was singing like really early like Renaissance chorus music. And yeah. every Sunday, like every fucking Sunday. And it was that all the time. And like some nights you were just like, I should be drinking. I'm in college. But then other nights you were like, wow, like this, this is the way that people who are writing earlier music were really feeling time. But even though I'm thinking about that in that conceptual way, because that's how my brain likes to do things. It's so much bigger than that. Like it's just, yeah, yeah. Moments like that. And it doesn't have to be in those spiritual zones. I have moments like that at different shows, like lots of noise shows, but man, but I mean, for me, there's something about like, like I've, you know, I've had like out of body experiences listening to, you know, Milford Graves. Oh and, yeah. You know, all kinds of shit. Mm-hmm. But when you are in, when I was in a cathedral, I was in like the black and white environment of Catholicism. Yeah. I'm not saying I'm like I'm converting to Catholicism <laughs> or anything like that, but you know. It does it, have really appealing aesthetics. Oh, it's the most appealing aesthetics. Especially um, if you like metal. And goth music. And kink. And kink and harmony. And like, you know, I mean, harmony. Like actual beautiful harmony. true harmony. If you like the idea of like reflections in in the room that's recording the music that you listen to, you can't really get better. Yeah. Like if you want a flat fifth, go call a Jew. But like if you want to, you know. (laughs) If you want literally anything else. Call someone else for the love of God. No, my favorite music, the music, and my wife is constantly like, "What the fuck is wrong with you?" Because it's like three years now. Like, there's this record of the uh, the Benedictine monks of the Abbot of. Uh, <laughs> I think I might know the one. It's the one. It's 1968. And yeah. It's oh yeah. yeah. The greatest thing ever. It's the greatest thing ever, and I listen to it almost every day. It's the only thing I will listen to at home. Whoa, the only thing at home? Pretty much. I mean, whatever. I was listening to Leo Smith when you walked in. But, yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, but, I, yeah, what the fuck? I don't know. There's. Yeah. No, there's music like that for me that's like just suspended in time that you can't believe. This band Dimples from Maine that like not that many people know because it's the singer of this band, a, a bigger Boston band called New England Patriots. As I, <laughs> I know. Can you believe it? Um, he has a record called Dimples with a few of his friends, and it's like, it's so sexy. And like, yeah. Can, it's just like, wow. I'll give it to you because I don't think it's worth even trying to talk about because it's just like, it's just vibe. It's happening. Yeah, it's vibe music. It's vibe music as much as like heliocentric worlds is, or like there's uh-huh. a riot going on. Like, it's that tier and like beautiful. Um, but yeah, that's what I listen to in my house. Yeah. So, should we talk about the trio with. Trevor and Chess. Sure. I, I mean, I don't want to sound like. Um, I have a feeling like I know who put that, whose idea that was. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think you do. Yeah. 
Because I don't really know them very well. They're great. <laughs> They're really sweet. Yeah. I wanted to be better friends with them, and I think we all had a very good time. But after we finished recording, they both went away, and I was left to mix with the very nice mixing man all by myself. They're professional musicians. <laughs> I know, but it's like... <laughs> I was so lonely. Uh, I, was, <laughs> I know they're professional musicians. I guess in name, at, I mean, I'm on this fucking podcast. You can right. call me one too. But <laughs> well, I meant, I meant, like, I meant that in a way of yeah, like, like they yeah. No, it was cool. It was precise. It was like the gentleman from Buffy. If they were both like right, but that was like um, <laughs> like I listened to it today. Like Trevor's playing some pretty ungentlemanly stuff. <laughs> oh no, the gentlemen are really ungentlemanly. They just he got a new pedal. It sounded like. Yeah, well, actually, the the studio where we recorded had like a sponsorship from Electro Harmonics, so we all had weird shit. Are you serious? Yeah, I felt like I felt like I should put it on my rider if I was a professional musician. I feel like <laughs> so, just whatever, like, because like everything we're doing is like not staying on topic. Yeah, it's the vibe. It is the vibe. Is that when people talk about studios, like people, I like, don't talk enough about fucking pedals. Like some studios you go to, there's pedals everywhere, and uh-huh. like if you're into pedals, and I'm into pedals. You're like a kid in a candy store. It is fun. I'm into pedals in a really specific way, though. Yeah? Yeah, like, I have this thing where I I go through periods of, like, rampant pirate-like liberalism with shit, and I'm like, wow, everything's interesting. Here I fucking go. Yeah. And then, like, that is followed by, like, two years of, like, I don't like anything else except for this. (laughs) So with pedals, like, when I was recording there, I wasn't actually in the mood to like be trying anything else, especially because I've been listening to their music since I was like who Trevor and Jess, yeah, yeah. since like forever, yeah, like totally mind blowing for me to meet these people, let alone play with them. It was, that was the first time you met. Was the day of the session? No, we'd met before, but okay. we hadn't like played played. We'd yeah. played at one of the improv nights, and it was so cool. But I didn't like know them necessarily well, which really sucks because I like to know people. Mm-hmm. Like I love I love shooting the shit. Mm-hmm. And I'm really excited for us to hang out on tour. But it's like, <laughs> it's other. But yeah, I was really intimidated, so I didn't want to use anything I didn't know. <laughs> so I really didn't. Mm. But Trevor did, and he sounded like fucking great. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, No, but that that's smart. I mean, you know, if you yeah. have all the, if you, if you look at everything that goes into a, a musical situation, you know, it is more than the music it is more than the performance like there's there's nerves there's there's all these things and control the variables yeah if you need to if that's what you need to you know stay focused and get the job done then that's what you do yeah and there's also just like sounds that i'm called to that i don't hear a lot of people doing with any real depth because they just get not like a i'm being a bitch no way. no 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 you're right <laughs> yeah but i just feel like I want to be able to play with sonic material with confidence and with knowledge about the duration and about the timbre of it. And when I'm learning a new pedal, it's like things are programmed really specifically and the room will affect like how a fuzz pedal sounds. Yeah. And like, there's just like heat considerations. Like it's really, it's like cooking or something. So you can't, I find that when I, I hear people doing like pedal jams or whatever, I get like really sad because I just want them to know to know their tools and then they could do the same exact material but you know when someone has like an engagement with their their stuff yeah i mean yeah. too many people don't treat pedals like instruments yeah it's so so gross like because then i mean it's beautiful it's so funny too because like the record being called machining unconscious is because i sent like a massive email to zorn being like well i don't know what to call anything here's like 
manly, cool, fun titles that I think are sick. Mm-hmm. And he chose that for title of the thing. And it's by Deleuze. It's a book. Mm-hmm. And, and like, I love it. It's a fun book. But I also really do think about like machines. As you know, I've mentioned embodiment already like right. 60 times. Um, but if you're using like a little stomp box, like you can't pretend that that's not like a small atavism of yourself. Right. And you can't pretend that any manipulation of it physically is going to have any different of an effect as you touching your finger to something. Yeah. Yeah. Because it is just that writ large. Yeah. So when I'm dealing with pedals, it's like, it's the same. Can I ask you something? Yeah. Like, what are, <laughs> what are your main pedals that you use? Oh, here we go. I'm really into pedals. And I, 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 <laughs> okay. you know, I got into it with Brandon Seabrook recently because we both love watching Rig Rundown. Oh, yeah, that's the best. It's Actually, the best. I like Andy from Pro Guitar Shop. Really? Yeah. He's soothing to me. He's like ASMR. When I, my favorite shit about Rig Rundown is watching dudes I can't stand because I always end up liking them. Oh, yeah. It's really, I don't know. It's really beautiful. I love Rig Rundown. When I can't sleep, I watch it. Yeah. Yeah. I really shouldn't because it's like, I don't think screens help. But No, they, they make things worse, but... But it's so nice. It's I, so nice. And you learn stuff. You learn stuff, but also it like hu- like weirdly humanizes things. And, and well, not weird. I guess that's like what the... I, mean, I don't know. What I always <laughs> cracks me up though is when they, like, they're like, Rig Rundown, The Edge from U2 or something. Oh, and then it's God. like, it's his guitar tech. Yeah. It's not him. Well, it's so funny. I like... I really just care. I, I care about Rig Rundown. So wait, if you had, if you you only take one pedal to the to the gig, what pedal would it be? I wouldn't because I I really am a strict adherent to the full drive two, and I need it for everything because it's like a perfect boost and it gives like the little hiss of drive. Yeah. Um. So that would be like part of my amp, I'd say. And then if I could take only one pedal to the gig, it would be a Boss PS six. What is that? A compressor. <laughs> No. <laughs> what is it? It um, <laughs> it's like a whammy for poor people. It goes. Ooh! Oh, it's like a pitch shifter thing. <laughs> yeah. Boss PS6. Boss PS6. And it rules. I would have a board of only them. Really? Really. And I have thought about it a lot. It's the best pedal in the world. It has the most incredible, like, you know how chorus can sound really like, I'm in a band. Chorus usually sounds horrible. <laughs> it sounds either like. 80s bad and they think it's cool because they think that it whatever but or it just sounds like it just sounds dumb i kind of like like the i like 80s like scooped out flangey metal tones though i think they're funny Uh uh-huh but this has a chorus that is not gross it just double it feels like you're doubling the guitar on the ps6 yeah you just like tilt it to detune and it keeps the signal and then like detunes another signal so it's like wavery a little bit well that's cool it's beautiful it's like actually beautiful and you can harmonize shit in like chords and they sound so stupid and deranged and you can like take things up two octaves or take things down like some of the bass parts that people think are bass parts on birthing hips are just me playing a pitch down guitar with that thing because it tracks so poorly that it sounds like andres's like bass that was a fretless bass (laughs) right yeah it's like a really uncanny sound i think it's the best pedal in the world like for sure the best pedal ever made for what i like to do it's fucking awesome it's hilarious it's that like which is such a bullshit pedal like talking about it it's like i love it It, the thing looks like shit now because i step on it every day Ugh, it's that or a zvex ringtone which is like the opposite it's like a beautiful pedal right right (laughs) yeah I'm enamored by pedals. Yeah. I think I'm out of the phase of that, but I, I'm really glad I was in it because now I have a ringtone. 
Yeah, and and you love it. <laughs> I love it. I think that pedal is like. I like pedals. It's sort of like with with what music and books I like. I like pedals that have like really specific points of view to the point where they're almost useless. But then your job is to make them useful for almost every experience that you have. That's it. Yeah. You just said it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like that's it. Yeah. It's five fifty one. That's probably how far away is it from? Are you driving? Yeah. Twenty minutes. Oh, let's keep going. All right. <laughs> um, so wait, yeah. wait, so you guys are you're going to tour with the trio? Uh, yes, it's not so planned quite yet, but but you're are you booking it? No, this oh. dude, um, Eden. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, he's uh, he's helping. He's uh-huh. pretty much doing all the work. Yeah, <laughs> it's great. I don't know where it's going to be. I feel very green. I'm like a, a green individual. Booking tours sucks. Well, I've done it a lot in America. Which especially <laughs> sucks. Yeah. I'm really good at doing it in America. Yeah? It's my it's my skill. I can like, I can't really do it in the like college normal way, but if you want basements and shit. Well, yeah. I mean. <laughs> that's my, yeah. I, I think know. we're saying the same thing in different tones. Yeah, yeah. Basically, <laughs> I, it sucks. But what I'm planning on doing is going to Europe with them and then doing a VDSQ like solo guitar tour yeah out there afterward but I've got so many friends who've toured Europe and to me it's like a white whale thing where I'm like why haven't I done it like it's like before these records like came out if anything can be said to come out anymore uh-huh. like I was like why doesn't everyone know about this <laughs> but it's just like, I like why isn't anyone calling me or no 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 like like why don't people know what I did but it's like just because it didn't come out that's how I feel about touring Europe like I haven't done the work to like book a tour there so I'm like why haven't I toured Europe right <laughs> it's just really stupid childlike stuff right which is what I'm best at I mean touring Europe is really fucking fun yeah, I really can't wait. I kind of, I don't know if it's too close to book something for like June. Like, I yeah, think, probably. I think it is. Yeah, but I don't know. I've played a little bit here and there, but not Europe. And I want to tour there, but I really want to tour South America. That is a respectable goal. Yeah, and it's something I would rather do a hundred percent of the time. Yeah. Well, first of all, you could hear like. Except for Australia, like the best metal ever, like between shows. I, there's no, pl- <laughs> I don't think there's any place I'd want to visit less than Australia. Yeah, but like Portal. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I like the accent. They seem. <sighs> you Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, they seem like it's... they're having a fun, zesty time. Yeah, maybe that's the problem. It's so. You hate fun. <laughs> no, I love You're like crafts. Yes, I do. That's, an, uh, that's a Libby. Um, no, I, I, uh, I've, that Australian accent. I mean, I'm sorry. I know people there in Australia. There's some that listen to this. And but there's like, people who are Australian who live in America who listen to this probably. Yeah, yeah. My friend Arn is Australian. You yeah. know, but like. So what are you gonna do? No, it's fine. <laughs> it's just uh, all I meant. All I meant to say is that touring in South America, if and when possible, is like the greatest aspiration to me. Oh yeah, absolutely. South America. I've only been once, and I had such a fucking good time. Aww. And I wasn't on tour. I was there as like a tourist. You know, like yeah. hanging out. I'm dying to go back. Yeah. I've never been, but I mean, look, I'm a guitar player who is jazz influenced or whatever, who likes to write songs. That's like the fucking motherland for me. Really? Yeah. Hey, why? Joao. <laughs> like, Gil- Gilberto. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I'm totally butchering any Brazilian Portuguese, like, as <laughs> as people I know will tell me a lot. But yeah, like that shit, oh, it's huge. Yeah. And Arto, come on. 
Like he he's he, is he Brazilian? I don't know, but he lived there and has great. Well, I don't look. I don't know. I can't say anything with confidence at all. Yeah, no, nor can I. Nor can I. Nor can I. <laughs> Ever. It's like the Maimonides thing. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, I love that music. I love like Cartier Bernier. Uh huh. And like, I don't really feel comfortable with like listening to Tropicalia a lot because I feel like I'm not cool enough to listen to it. I, even though I love it a lot, I just right. like, when I'm listening to it, it's like lifestyle music that I'm not cool enough to be a part of. Right. Which is my own like self hatred hatred shit. But it's like I, I, I despise pretty heavily um Bossa Nova. That's so crazy. But I understand I understand it from a certain point of view. The context has ruined it, you know? It's just like Because of like elevators in movies. Elevators and like stupid people that think it's cool. Well, hi. <laughs> but also that's so crazy to me because like i don't know like a good third of the music that i make when i'm alone is like bossa nova yeah i don't know if you've ever heard my songs they're not like bossa songs they're like they're totally technical exercises with like me singing over them but right. but they're also just like you can't pretend that it's not like me thinking about astrid like i rip her off when i sing right. every time Here's something I'll say about South America, and it's the only place I've ever been that I can say this about, and it's the me saying this is like that's why the fuck I want to go back there. Mm-hmm. It's the only, and it happened. I was there for like two weeks, and it happened almost every day. I saw an animal that I didn't know what it was. Aw, that's really cute. Maybe one of those animals can teach you to like bossa nova. I doubt it very much. <laughs> there, but I mean, you literally you walk around. I mean, obviously, if you're like walking around Santiago or something, like you're not. Yeah. But if you're like. In any rural area, you're going to see an animal that you have no idea what it is, oh, or even what it's related to. I want that. That sounds great. Are you an animal person? I mean, I got two that live with me. And yeah, but I like those. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I like animals. Yeah, I'm like a major dog freak. Do you have one? No, I don't want to like subject them to me touring and like being gone all the time. It's it's hard on them. Yeah, like first of all, it'd be my first dog, so I wouldn't have like a. Nice... You didn't have a dog growing up? Oh yeah, but like mm-hmm. it was really you know. When you get one as an adult, it's different. Yeah, and you have to be like really concerned for their welfare in a way that a five year old can't be. You know. I spent um, like twenty five hundred bucks in August on like some emergency shit that happened with one of my dogs. Oh no, are they okay? It's they both fine. seem fine. They're fine. <laughs> they're fine lady <laughs> maintain no, i just mean that like after all that i was like man really nothing's wrong like i just <laughs> yeah but the crazy thing was like randomly like two days after this someone called me up and they're like hey we want to use your dog in a photo shoot whoa and i got paid did you get paid that exact amount because that would be cool um i got paid <laughs> oh close to it well they are like they're hot dogs. Yes, they are. They are. <laughs> yeah, I like them. They're really good. I was nervous because I'm like, because I'm because I'm nervous because I I know that my friend Jake will be listening to this podcast in the bath. Uh huh. This is his bath podcast. Who's Jake? Jake Lichter. He's a great keyboard player okay. and songwriter. Love yeah, yeah. him. Was just the best person. Uh huh. He was at my house just today, just this morning. Okay. And also left. He lived in New York. But anyway. I knew that like I have some people who will be listening and I wanted to say the right things. And then I saw your dog, <laughs> both of them. Yeah. And I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah. They're very sweet. They're good. They're really special. They're good. There's a girl in this building. Uh, is this still interesting to people? She is young. She's probably 11 or 12 and she's uh, developmentally challenged mm-hmm. and she loves Pearl, the small one. Oh. And her mom tells me every time, she's like, anytime she sees Pearl, 
it's the best part of her week. Wow. Yeah. I understand that. I know how big of a deal therapy animals can be for people like that. I don't think people get it. I don't think I got it until I had them. They're, yeah. I don't, I don't think I get it actually from like a, I own this dog and I'm making someone's life standpoint, but I know myself. Well, I mean, there, you know, and we'll, we'll call it uh, in a second, but I, there was a couple of years ago I had to do jury duty for like two weeks and it was miserable. I was really like, by the time I left uh, the courthouse every day, I was angry and depressed and my eyes were hurting from the fluorescent. Like it was just the worst. I'm sorry. And I would like stomp through lower Manhattan to get home. <laughs> That's cute though. It's horrible. <laughs> but literally within two minutes of being in the apartment with them, it was like, yeah, just, Oh yeah. Like there's, there's goodness. Yeah. They really, there is something it's like really as divine as anything else. Right. Like, yeah. It's as divine as the creative process or like the receptivity thing, but dogs just are tapped in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, yeah. Cool. Rumi wrote about dogs. That doesn't surprise me, but I haven't read it. Yeah. Oh, I love that Chris Deva reader. That's how I started being interested in her. She's pretty solid. And Divine Horseman. Okay. Sorry. A lot of ch- so I'll tell you what. <laughs> it's time for me to feed my dogs. And if you want to see some funny dog shit. Okay, I'll stick around. All right. And then, all right. Wendy, thank you. Thank you. All right, that was Wendy Eisenberg. Hope that you guys enjoyed that. Uh, Hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. That was a really delightful conversation. Uh, I hope to see more of Wendy around. Not only is she an incredibly gifted musician, but she's she's a real fun person to talk to. If you want to find out more about Wendy Eisenberg, and I certainly suggest that you do, go to wendyeisenberg.com. She's got a couple of new records out. Go to Zodic.com. Check out her record with uh, Chess Smith and Trevor Dunn. Slammin'. If you're enjoying this podcast, go to Patreon.com slash 5049podcast. Become a donor. You can check out all the past episodes, which as of today is the entire first run. That's episodes 1 through 86. A lot of good stuff is in there, and uh, you can get lost in it. That's it. Hope you guys are all doing well, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye.